The happy one. Oh, except that all three of them are dead. Anyway, uh, there you have it. Bad taxidermy. Another successful run of that beloved (laughs) cultural touchstone. Hey, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. (coughs) Excuse me. Hebrews chapter 12. We pick up our study in verse... (coughs) I'm so sorry. In verse 3. Hebrews 12, verse 3. And this is God's word. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we might share his holiness for the moment, all discipline, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have a staff meeting every week, um, and uh, so three times a month, it's a book study on Tuesday afternoon. It's the same kind of thing that elders do. There's a book study. We work through things together and discuss them and all that. So that's three, three Tuesdays a month on the afternoon, and then we have one Tuesday morning businessy type thing. So in our Tuesday afternoon book study led by Dr. Young, which is phenomenal, the, I mean, the, go to the Gigi thing. I'm telling you, the staff benefits from the senior pastor in a profound way. But anyway, so we're, we're all talking and weighing in and all this, and Chris Luke offers up, we're talking about God's law and the function of the law. And Chris Luke offers up a story uh, years ago when he was on, uh, he was going tubing, I mean, uh, whitewater rafting, whitewater rafting. And he, he got shot out of the raft, and he's going down the river, and he doesn't know much about it. You know, he didn't get like the pre-course or whatever. And so he's kind of tumbling down the uh, very white rapids, bouncing around on rocks, and his best friend is on the shore yelling to him. He's saying, face the sky, keep your head up, put your feet above the water. Chris, try to keep your feet above the water. You know why you do that? Uh, if you don't have your toe, you, you try to keep your toes above the water because if they're down here and the, the very fast-moving water uh, traps your foot between two rocks, you die. It traps your foot, down you go, and brrr, you just you can die. And so you try, to, you try to lay back, stay up, put your toes up. And uh, so Chris is saying, here he is going through this, this treacherous thing, this hardship, and he's got a friend shouting commands at him. 
And Chris's point was, at no time did I think, oh, that's so oppressive, trying to give me a bunch of rules to live by. You know, rather, he was trying to help him. He was giving him what he needed to be safe. And so functions God's law. God doesn't give us parameters that we might go, oh, these rules you come up with, God, with the don't eat the fruit and the don't do this and the thou shalt not. Oh, it's so oppressive. That's not it at all. He is loving us by giving us his commands. He's loving us by giving us rules in which we are to operate because it's the best thing for us. And so, ladies and gentlemen, it is that way also. Uh, and I think that attitude is on the, the heart and mind of the writer of the book of Hebrews uh, to these Hebrew Christians. There are, um, um, there's a hazardous scenario for them. And, uh, and God is not only giving them commands, but it, the, in the area of discipline, it's the same kind of thing. God is not disciplining us. He's not chastening us um, that, he, that we might be oppressed. He's doing it for our good. He's dealing with us for our good. And so, you know, in this, in this chapter, um, it, all through chapter 11, in this book, the, the whole basis of this book are recurring themes like um, enduring hostility. This, this, this Christian church is enduring hostility. Um, there are enduring themes like competing in an athletic competition, you know, buffeting your body and, and running a race well um, and, and not becoming weary. Uh, there are also um, important things about um, uh, not forgetting uh, being joined to Christ and like rules that are put in place for the creatures God has made. So God disciplines us. He deals with us that we might um, be made more like him. Um, and I dare say, I think it's easier for a Christian to look at God's law and go, oh, yeah, well, I understand why he's got his law in place. The rules are, are good, and, uh, you know, we put fences in our yard to keep our kids safe, and we have certain rules around our home to keep our kids safe. We can understand those principles as Christians. That's pretty easy to buy into. It's harder to buy into it when we're being disciplined, isn't it? When, when you feel uh, the flame of the furnace licking you, um, it's harder to, to rest in that. It's harder to say, oh, this is for my good. Um, but, and by the way, those tests are also, as the text will uh, tell us in a moment, um, that, that God deals with us in a disciplinary way, in a fatherly way, um, is a testimony to the fact that we do belong to him. If he didn't treat us like children, if he didn't discipline us, if he didn't weigh into our lives, then we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't belong to him. But we do, so he does, all right? Thus, um, our crisp main idea today, which is this. Don't forget your sonship. I think that's an important main idea because we're talking about discipline and so on. Um, it, it's easy to, um, to kind of chisel that down to a bunch of, a bunch of uh, rules and stuff like that. But don't forget that, that you're a son, you're a daughter, uh, that, God has, that God has called you to be his own child. All right, so that's our main idea today. We only have two sermon points. The first one is this. Consider Jesus. Look at verse three. It says, consider him. The him is Jesus. We're to consider Jesus. Well, let's consider Jesus in context. Throughout chapter 11, the previous chapter, you saw people who were in hardship. 
You had uh, person after... Now, there's a, redemptive, there's a redemptive pendulum swing throughout chapter 11. But you see people are, who are in hardship who are exercising faith. And, you know, faith isn't necessary when you can see the object of your faith. For instance, I, I, could, I could walk up to these chairs and uh, you, could, you could bring me up blindfolded and you could say, hey, there's a chair behind you, sit down. And if I trust you, I sit down. Okay, me blindfolded. I trust you and I sit down. That's a big difference between me going, oh yeah, there it is. There it is. Feels like it can hold me. It's not some little rickety thing. Uh, there it is. Uh, I sit down. That's a totally different thing. I see that chair. I'm verifying it. But if you just walked me up blindfolded and said, sit down, there's a chair behind you, I would have to exercise faith. It's not needed when I can see it, right? And so there's this issue of faith that... Um, that um, that runs through this, and you know, it, even in chapter 11, verse 1, it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, thing, the conviction of things not seen. You see those uh, strong words, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We're believing something that we cannot see. And it is hard when the object of somebody's faith is not seen. And uh, that's the whole point of the list of people in chapter 11. Uh, These people lived, they believed God, they believed in a future deliverance, they did not know how to define it, they didn't know exactly what it would be, but they believed the promise of God even though they couldn't see it, even though it wasn't realized in their lifetime. And by the way, we look back to the cross, they looked forward to the coming Savior, however it was going to be defined, we look back to the cross and we can, say, we can see, oh, it was a, a, a God-man named Jesus, he did an atoning work for us, um, he um, did a saving work, there was this accomplishing event of the cross, we look back on it, but ladies and gentlemen, that was 2,000 years ago, he didn't have a body cam on, which we love, There was no DNA, you know, forensic evidence, which we love. We don't have that. We have to just believe what God said. It's the same thing. Dead is dead. Dead in transgressions and sins is the same thing, either side of it. We have to believe what God said, simply believe it. And and pressures on that belief are what verify uh, our our faith to our own souls. All right, so let's look at verse 3, all of it. Consider Jesus then who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You see that that's the writer's thrust. He doesn't want the readers to grow weary or faint-hearted. You can also see how relevant that is to your own experience, can't you? Because sometimes it's really, really tough. Sometimes your faith is really, really challenged. Sometimes you wake up and you go, was that a dream or is that real? Oh, it's real. The writer understands that. The writer understands those pressures. Um, and um, what, the, the question then is, what about remembering Jesus? What about considering him uh, in his earthly life as helpful? Why is that an encouragement to us? Why is that supposed to be uh, a source of courage? Well, back up a little bit to our text last week. We really could have even spent more time in it, but um, from two weeks ago. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 1, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Um, Let us also lay aside every weight 
and sin which clings so closely. That's, that, the idea is an entanglement. It's kind of like you've you're, you're, you got something tangled around your legs and you're trying to run. Sin does that, doesn't it? Your own sin, the condition the world is in, sinful things imposed upon you, it's because of sin that we're entangled. Um, lay aside every weight, all the sin that clings closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here it says, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. By the way, notice that it says Jesus here. I mean, it, it's, it, the, the writer has used Christ, the office, the title, the Messiah, uh, what, Christ came to, what Jesus came to accomplish, the, the Christ, the Messiah, his office, used it many times. Here, it's the personal name of Jesus. Look to Jesus, this personal Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Wow, the joy of what? Getting you? Yeah, the joy of carrying out his Father's will, the joy of accomplishing redemption, the joy of winning you, the sheep, the joy set before him. Uh, He despised shame, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, um, I've told you this before, but I've had a lot of weird jobs in my life, and one of them was uh, I worked down at 201 Poplar for about nine months. And um, I was like a little court clerk guy, and I just, I, I'd get on ladders, and I'd get files, and I'd take them into the room, and I'd go through the Perry Mason gate, and I'd give them to the, the court, report, court person, and uh, it was really, it was wild. It was a wild scene, man. Uh, people were still smoking in there, too. It was just like smoke everywhere. It was wild. But, um, so, but I had a punch a clock. So you had to drive downtown to 201 Poplar, find a parking place in, a, in a, some parking lot, get in that building... And uh, get down the hall and punch that clock. And so I've got a big habit, ladies and gentlemen, of synchronizing uh, my watch. So about every two weeks, I do this for years and years. I do it all the time for music. I mean, our services start on time, like atomic time. Every couple weeks, I take my little, uh, my little military watch, and I sync it to atomic time. And when, when the second hand goes like this, that's when the service starts, all right? So that's what I used to do back at 201 Poplar. I would I would, you know, about two, every two weeks, I would time my watch out to the time clock so I knew exactly when it was because you only got three latenesses and then you got written up and you could get fired, all right? And so, and you had to make, you had to make room for the, the, the 60 seconds of people going, is that my card? I don't know, is that my card? Oh, eh, eh. it's like, plug, plug it in, clock in. We're, uh, you've got people waiting in line. So anyway, people figured out somehow, I never told anybody, but they somehow figured out, just kind of by, by osmosis, uh, that I had, the, I had it exactly on. And so they knew if I was running, they needed to be running. <laughs> and I mean, it was wild. I, they, it, was just, it would happen all the time. I'd be booking it, and I'd see six or seven people going, oh, no, oh, no, They're just all booking it. But if I'm like, do, 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 I'm getting there in sweet time, they would walk too. Uh, the point is, ladies and gentlemen, they knew... If I was okay, they were going to be okay. And that's the point, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus not only accomplished the work set before him, but he's gone into the presence of the Father, the everlasting Father, and were to consider him then. Um, Verse 3, are you weary? Are you faint-hearted? Well, look to the Christ who thought it a joy to win you. And know this, ladies and gentlemen. If he's okay... You're going to be okay. That's the point. Look to Christ. Consider him who endured. If he's okay, 
you're going to be okay. The writer accents his point with this, uh, this robust statement in verse 4. Um, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is quite a statement, isn't it? You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Oh, it could happen. I mean, that's not exactly something you put in the, the Christian brochure. You have not yet resisted uh, to the point of shedding your blood. And, and by the way, some commentators take that to be a bit of scolding. They, they take that to be him going, come on, you big babies. It's not like, did you not see the list of people in here that, uh, you know, were, uh, you know, sawn in two and um, in chains and imprisonment, stoned, killed by the sword, afflicted, they lost everything, they had to wander around like uh, goats, destitute. Uh, that hasn't happened to you, so you big babies. So some commentators say that, but ladies and gentlemen, that's not how you comfort people. I mean, that, that's, not a, that's not a good Russell Crowe speech before you try to send everybody into battle. He's trying to give them courage. He's saying, guys, are you weary? Are you growing faint? Are you struggling? Are your feet entangled? Well, consider Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, he's okay. That means that you're going to be okay. And notice, the, notice the, the, the giant thing here. You can't miss this. In verse 4, he says, in your struggle, it's not just struggles in this life. It's not just struggles in this life. It is. But in your struggle, look, against sin, that's the problem. Sin is the problem. Sin is what has affected the world. Sin is what makes relationships herky-jerky. Sin is what makes us tempted. Sin is what makes us fail. It's the greatest reason of all to look to Jesus. He um, resisted all sin. He defeated all sin. And uh, he then took all sin. He appropriated it. He became sin who knew no sin. And what do you get, ladies and gentlemen, in the gospel uh, uh, transaction? You get the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. If you wonder, why did Jesus die on the cross again? Uh, uh, What was that again? He died on the cross because all have sinned. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one can present themselves to God and say, well, I tried my best. I hope that's enough. It's not enough. One transaction, excuse me, (coughs) one transgression against a God who is holy devastates you for eternity. Else God wouldn't be holy. Holy, holy. That's how he describes himself. And so, ladies and gentlemen, the the gospel message is that Christ lived the perfect human life. He laid it down in the sinner's place, and he became sin who knew no sin, that our sin would be put on him, and his righteousness would be put to our account. That is the gospel message, and that's the only way God receives anybody, ladies and gentlemen, anybody. If it's Christ plus nothing else, that's everything. If it's Christ plus something else, nothing. God does not receive, acknowledge, hear you. Thus saith the scriptures. Now, application for your life. The message is in short, you're going to be okay because Jesus is okay. And I'm reminded of those uh, ejector seats and big swings and things down at beachy-type places, you know, the big swings. You ever seen people on those things? 
Who's been on those? I have no desire uh, to be on that. Wow. Even, Dave, you've been on that thing? Wow, man. I, have, I look at those things and I'm like, that looks like the most horrible thing in the world to me. Um, I mean, I remember I, I quit roller coasters about 31 years old. I was like, why am I doing this? It's horrible. It's so unpleasant. But anyway, but you know, one of the things about these ejector things, is, are these big sw- swings, is you have to stand there for you know, 30 minutes and watch all these other people do it. And, and you're like, oh, that looks so scary. And about your 14th one, you're like, okay. You're thinking, if those idiots can do it, you know, surely I can survive. Or you see some guy and you're like, I bet he's going to have a heart attack. He didn't. Okay, well, I'm probably not going to have a heart attack. Um, you watch him and you go, okay, if they're okay, uh, I'll probably be okay. Friend, do you carry a heavy weight? Verse 1. Um, does your sin, yours and others, threaten to entangle your feet? Well, then look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. You know, trials and temptations and pressures upon your belief system are inevitable. But, but you're going to be okay because Jesus is okay. Last point. God loves you dynamically. Look at verse 5. Have you not, excuse me, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And what he's doing here is he's quoting Proverbs 3, uh, the next couple verses, and I'm just going to flip there real quick. <coughs> Here's what it says in our, our, our you know, he's, the, the writer of um, Hebrews is using the Septuagint. Did you know what that is? The Septuagint is the um, Hebrew Bible translated into New Testament Greek. So the writer of Hebrews is using a New Testament Greek translation of the Old Testament. So the, the words come out a little bit differently, but he's quoting uh, Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12, which says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. In your, in your copy, it says, uh, chastises every son whom he receives. That's God loving dynamically, ladies and gentlemen. And remember that the writer of the book of Hebrews is a Jewish pastor writing to Jewish Christians about a Jewish savior, a Jewish Messiah. And thus his expectation is that they would be very familiar with their Jewish Bible and go, oh yeah, that, you know, they, they memorize large hunks of the Old Testament, uh, especially uh, wisdom literature, especially the Psalms, which they sang, uh, the Proverbs, um, the prophets uh, were widely memorized. And so he's writing to these Jewish people going, remember this? Have you forgotten this? Have you forgotten this? I know that you all have this memorized from when you were kids uh, about, about the way God is as a father. And um, you, you see that um, as a support to his point, he brings us in this integral, integral relationship between father and son. And that is a means of courage in this life. Sin in this life and the challenges of this sinful world, um, when, you're, when you have a relationship with the living God, it changes everything. When, when, you, when he's your father, um, he deals with you differently. And it's not just the legal aspect of it. Yes, yay, um, we have an inheritance. That's a wonderful truth that's been expounded upon here in this chapter, uh, in this book. But it's not merely the legal aspect of it. It is, ladies and gentlemen, that God acts like a father. He acts with parental love. Think about the way you behave toward your children. 
You act toward them with parental love. You take action. You're not just legally their mom or, your, or their dad. You act like a mom and dad. You, you act, you behave dynamically. You're dynamically guarding their lives. You know, um, a few years ago, no, not a few years ago, 20 years ago, we were down in Destin, and there was this young couple down there. <coughs> Excuse me. And this young couple... Probably 25, year old, 25 year olds, years old, they had a two-year-old. So a young couple, two-year-old, and then her brother was apparently with them, who was like 17. So you got it? Husband, wife, mom, dad, little two-year-old. Oh, he's shuffling, just cute. Oh, the waves. Oh, should I go? Oh, I'm scared. You know, all that whole scene. So mom, dad, two-year-old, 17-year-old uh, brother of the wife. And the 17-year-old brother of the wife was awesome with that little, girl, that little girl. I mean, awesome. Just, she loved him. He was watching her. He was playing with her, 17 years old. And you're like, wow, look at that mature kid. He's really so good with that kid. <coughs> and then the mom and dad go, I really wish we could take a walk on the beach. It's been a long time since we've been able to take a walk on the beach together, down the beach. And 17-year-old young brother's like, I'll watch Emmeline. And a 25-year-old mom and dad are looking at 17-year-old brother, and they're like, we'll wait until next year. Because waves, ocean, 17. Yeah, you're awesome with her. But you're 17, so you're still kind of an idiot. So uh, they didn't. They they guarded that kid in a in a profound way. You don't just let a two-year-old with a 17-year-old around the oh the waves, right? So that's how you guard your kids. That's how you train them up. Look at verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. And think about it. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? Um, It it makes your mind go to the answer before it's even written. You know, Uh, I mean, a father's going to discipline his son, right? What happens if there's somebody who's not interested in disciplining their child? Well, look at verse 8. If you're left without discipline, you're illegitimate. So the point is, get it? A father, a parent, a loving parent is, is disciplining, training up, guarding a child, but the one who's not the parent doesn't do it the same way. I mean, that, that's a very simple principle, and the Bible invites us to think about God that way. Um, and it goes on. Look at verse um, um, 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us. We respected them. Uh, shall we not be much, much, much more subject to the Father of spirits and live? He's saying, <coughs> ladies and gentlemen, you, you're, you're, you, you parents who love those kids, you're sinners too. You don't always have all the information. Your decisions aren't perfectly wise. But you know who's are? The God who has all the information. The God who's the source of all wisdom and truth. The God who's made promises to work out every single thing for your good, for your benefit. That's the God who is your, your heavenly Father. And look what it says in verse 10. Earthly parents, yeah, they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, you know, in their limited faculties. Sinners also. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. That is your heavenly Father, ladies and gentlemen, who is working for your good, not just for the stuff that you define as good, but that you might be brought into holiness. That's the way this heavenly Father works. He has all the knowledge. 
He has uh, a consummate, informed wisdom, and uh, his ways are absolutely good and truthful. And by the way, if we believe what the Bible says about him, the most important thing he expresses about himself is that he is holy, 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 and that's the business he's in in your life. Now, application for you as we kind of bring this home. Um, Theologian Andrew Murray says this, um, in every trial, small or great, first of all, and at once, recognize God's hand in it. Say at once, my Father has allowed this to come. That's a brave thing to tell somebody. And by the way, there are whole theological systems that do everything they can. They do flips and twists to not say that. Oh, God wants you to be rich. Oh, God wants you to have all the blessings that you can have. And uh, if you just have enough faith, then everything's going to work out perfectly for you. That's a lie. Jesus, if he, if he says anything, if you believe anything the Savior says, he says, uh, you're going to be persecuted because of your faith in me. Blessed are you. I mean, that's a promise. In this life, you will have trouble. That's a promise from Jesus. But take heart, for I've overcome the world. So in every trial, small or great, say, ladies and gentlemen, say to your soul, God's hand is in this. Don't forget that, Jim. God's hand is in this. In every, in every trial, say at once, my Father has allowed this to come. Not an abstract God from afar, but my Father. God's hand is in this. My Father has allowed this to come. In all of God's dealings with you, Christian, that is great advice. That also means that your afflictions aren't pointless, that your, your suffering is not without reason. And I'll tell you something, that is a point that's often preached, um, that, that our sufferings matter and, uh, and all that. But I, I fear that it's preached in the abstract that, that, that we, we kind of have this, we kind of have this, yeah, I trust God. My God's big enough. We trust God and, and God's out there and, uh, you know, stuff's all going to work out at the end. That is true. Stuff's all going to work out at the end. Christ is going to return and put all things right. Yay, that's right. It's true. It's wonderful. But don't only think of it as a future thing. Um, think of it. In the now, um, it, it's not just that, hey, everything's going to work out. It is that we have a good God, that we have a God of order, that we have a God who has a saving purpose, and uh, we have a God who started a work that he's surely going to complete. Those are wonderful ideas of redemption. But ladies and gentlemen, if your soul is craved a specific, like why do these problems matter? Um, why am I going through this? What, what, what wisdom could possibly be behind this? God, why are you letting me go through this, ladies and gentlemen? Um, look at verse 7. It is for discipline. That's why. God is treating you as sons. That's the answer. That's why. If you're going, well, why does this have meaning again? Why do, my, why do my problems have meanings again, my suffering? Why does it have meanings? Because God is dealing with you as a father. Don't let your souls forget that. You know, C.S. Lewis says this, God whispers in our pleasures. Pleasures, you happy? You got a broad road? Man, it's good to be blessed, isn't it? Isn't it great to drive down the road and go, what a wonderful day, Lord. I'm blessed. God, God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience. 
But C.S. Lewis continues, he shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. It is in our pain that God really gets attention and, and makes positive changes. Let me show you something. You know, I'm from Chicago, and I'm quite interested in this. Um, that's an artist's rendering of um, the Chicago fire. And on a big map of Chicago, I could show you exactly where that spot is. I could show you exactly where that spot is today. But look at that. Can you imagine? Um, there they are. Oops, hello. Okay, hang on. Okay, hold on. Oh, my stupid thing. Hold on. That ain't working. Hong Kong. Okay, so there they are trying to put it out. Um, that was uh, Chicago before the fire. And... Uh, that's it from a plane right now. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you know what that is? It's called city planning. You ever been to New York where all the trash is on the front? <laughs> I mean, so in the morning, they got to go pick up the trash because the trash is out at the front of the stores. That's not good city planning. But the Chicago, but Chicago's looks like it's just been pressure washed. Very clean city. Uh, it's got this beautiful grid and these veins that run out to the outlying areas. Areas That's city planning. The best thing that ever happened in Chicago was that fire. Because rather than just a settlement where people came and they built a house here and somebody else built a house here and then a, a road kind of went this way and it was all kind of haphazard, that's city planning. They're like, you know what? We've been raised down to zero, so now let's get this thing right. I'm telling you, it's not a bad parallel um, to the way God works. Uh, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. All things pass through God's hand, ladies and gentlemen, and he's the very one who promised to take all those things and work them together for your good. And can't you, as a Christian, look back 5, 10, 20 30 years, and you, you look back at stuff you've gone through, and you go, it is the strangest thing. I'm full of gratitude for what God put me through. Is that not mysterious, ladies and gentlemen? You look back on it, and you go, had God not put me through that, then, he wouldn't have, then, then there wouldn't have been this soul planning, <laughs> this, uh, this order that has taken place, this, this uh, yield of p- peaceful uh, righteousness. Um, you, you can even be grateful for it. All right, my closing illustration this is going to seem really abstract and maybe even bizarre, but and it's just my own observation. It's just my own observation. You can, you can go check this out on your own if you like, but this is my own observation. Think of a second grade girl, a little second grade girl, school picture, Maybe go back and look at your own school picture. I might be wrong, but I think I'm pretty close. Go back, ladies, look at your own school. Guys, it doesn't matter for you. But girls, go back and look at your little second grade school picture and look at your hair. Then get your 41-year-old self out and hold it up to the second grade one and look at your hair. You know what? Pretty close. Your hair's parted on the same side. I mean, you've, you've gotten the cuts and the, and, the, and the roots and the... You've done all the stuff and the haircuts, $140 and all, all that business. But, you know, you hold it up and you're like, huh, that's kind of wild. It, it's not exactly. 
And it's not every single time. It's not every single time. But often, you can hold a second-grade picture of a little girl and a 41 picture of that same woman, and you go, the hair's pretty similar. Now, as a 41-year-old, you're like, okay, I've had a lot of practice. You know, it's basically an art project. You know, you're either good at it or you're bad at it. You know, and you're, you're, you're doing all this stuff, and you, you, it's been, you've been doing it for years, and, and you kind of know what works on you and how wispy your hair is or how curly it is. You've got to straighten it out and all that kind of business. And uh, you know what works best for you and what kind of frames your face the best. And, uh, you know, you, you, you've done it. But then you hold up your second-grade picture, and you're like, huh, it sure is close to that. Who did that? Your mom. She looked at you, and she thought, you know what? What's going to make this little child look the cutest is this. And she does you all up. And guess what? She was right. Now you're doing it on your own. You're good at it. You got a system down. And uh, it, took you, it took you 30 years to figure it out. Your mom had it down. She knew you before you did. That's just my theory. You're welcome to go test it. But my point in using that as an illustration is this, ladies and gentlemen. God's that way in trials. You know, you come to a place of maturity and you look back at God's dealings with you and, and you've seen that you have suffered through this and there's been hardship, there's been betrayal that you've experienced and uh, poverty maybe, despondency, mental illness, profound sadness, those kinds of things. And you can say, well, I look back at that and I can say that I matured from that. Um, but who was, who, who was doing the teaching of your soul? God knew all along what you needed um, You realize that something's been good for you, but God knew all along from the start. And that's why Andrew Murray wisely tells you to say daily, in every trial, small or great, first of all, and at once, recognize God's hand in it. And then say to yourself, my Father has allowed this to come. And if you want a shorthand for that, it can be our main point, which is, don't ever forget your sonship. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your truth, and um, we're, we're um, in deep gratitude and adoration that you would have loved us with an everlasting love and that you would care for us like a father, guard us in a profound and intimate and careful way in all of your dealings with us. Lord, help us understand that concerning your law. Help us understand that concerning discipline and even chastisement, Lord, that uh, you are not shouting commands to oppress, but um, you're working in our lives to bring about holiness in our very best. We pray that our souls might know that. We pray it for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.